0: Hey, good morning, all. Welcome to the Common Good podcast. So glad to have you uh, here with us today. Uh, important day. We're going to be talking about something that really matters a lot to me. I'm hoping it matters a lot to you, and that is that uh, the United States government has finally ended the Title 42 health mandate, which uh, seems like you know no one should worry about some health mandate from three years ago. The thing about Title 42, though, is it was invoked by the Trump administration in order to allow the people working at the border to behave exceptionally. In other words, to say, no, we don't have to allow people to come to the U.S.-Mexico border who are seeking asylum. We don't have to allow those people to come in. I'll explain all this here in a minute. because You probably heard a lot about it. I'm telling you if, you, if you listen to this podcast, if you watch this, you've probably heard about Title 42. You might not know much about it. Um, and so we're going to get into that. But I want to say good morning first. Glad to have you all with us. If you're a part of the regular uh, folks, you know that we like to uh, chit chat a little bit about the weather. It's just me today, by the way. Uh, Dan's off for a couple of weeks. Uh, no, no Rob, uh, who's regularly with us on Tuesdays. No guest on this Wednesday. On often on Wednesdays, as today's the 17th of May, 2023, we have guests that we have on talking about faith. But I really want to talk about Title 42 and a faithful response to immigration overall. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, but on this beautiful day, it's, it's lovely here in Minneapolis where, where I find myself, uh, it's going to be like 79 degrees in the middle of May, which for us is just a real, just a real wind. So if you're in the chat and you're in all those places, I'd love to see, uh, you know, where you're uh, watching from. We'd uh, very much appreciate your comments on all this today as well. All right. So I'm, uh, I want to also let you know, we're going to show you some video that we shot when we did a bike ride across the U S. The United States along the U.S.-Mexico border. We did that a year and a half ago. We're creating a documentary out of that. If you'd like to be part of it, we're still fundraising to finish that documentary and need to raise about seventy-five thousand dollars. So we'd love for you to do that. If you just want to be a, the the producer, one of the major producers, uh, and kick that seventy-five k in, we'd love to have you do that. Or if you can make any kind of contribution over at Vote Common good or at WeThePeopleRide.org, that money will go to make that documentary. And get it out. We're really uh, planning and wanting to get it out so that it's out for election year because we think there needs to be a different conversation about uh, immigration in this country. So let me start back a ways, like at the founding of the country a ways, okay? Because here's the thing the United States government has had a very uh, broken relationship with immigration from, from our beginning. W- whenever we had a government in the United States, all the times and places that we've had government. Um, when it was just colonies, when it was uh, 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 breakaway uh, uh, um, uh, states, you know, in a, during a revolution, we've had a difficult time understanding who should be in this country, who should be included, who should be excluded. It's never really gone well. There hasn't been a point where we've said, hey, there was a, a glory day of, of immigration in this country the peoples from Europe who came to the land that we now call the United States didn't come as immigrants. They came as what you basically call invaders, conquerors. They took the land from the indigenous peoples who lived here. So our history of how we have handled this land and who can be here has been wrought with pain, wrongdoing, and horror. We have to recognize that so that we know that we're not trying to preserve by our immigration policy some terrific period of time when everything really went great. Like we had some time where we think if we could just get back to what we were doing back there in the good old days, you know, things would be much better. We haven't had that period of time. We've had a conflicted relationship with this land that has hurt and harmed uh, all, all manners of people then we've moved forward and established a country and then decided oh if you were a part of the the british army then you had to leave the country after the after the revolutionary war we didn't allow the brits to be part of this country then we said that the chinese who we asked to come and to build our railroads and to build much of our land they couldn't be part of the immigration process until 1965 until 1965 the united states of america had a chinese exclusion act It said, Chinese people cannot become full citizens of the United States as immigrants. And they didn't correct, we didn't correct that in this country until 1965. We enslaved people to have in this land, to work this land, and then told those people that their participation in this country would be limited because of their slave status that was put upon them. So we've had a very difficult relationship. And one of the things that we've done All along with our immigration policy, when we had more formal immigration policies that started in the late late 1890s. By the way, in the 1870s, there there really was none. If if you have ancestors that came to the United States, like hey, maybe my my people came, they came legally. How come people today can't come legally? Great question. People ask it all the time. As a border activist and an immigration activist, I ask that question all the time. How come people in other countries who want to migrate to the United States don't come legally? You know why they don't come legally when they don't? Because the legal pathway isn't actually open. Let that sit in for a minute. Look, I've said this to thousands of people. I've probably, probably thousands of people in private conversations have I said such things. And they shake their heads and they're like, oh, come on. Of course there's legal ways for people to come in. Oh, you, you think so? You think there's just legal ways that people can immigrate into this country? So many people live in, live in countries currently where they can't come to the United States legally because there's a quota system that determines how many visas we will give to people from any particular country. And that quota system puts a cap. And once we're over that cap and that cap is teeny and it depends on the country. So it's it it's it's convoluted as to even figure out how many visas uh, there are available. Nobody really knows because it's a shifting percentage. No country can have more than twelve percent of all the immigrants from any of the other countries. It's it's this complicated formula that doesn't even give you one singular number, which is what makes it difficult for people to talk about and to understand. But once you've reached the cap, there are no more visas. You now can't come. Now you can get a line to be somebody who can come within the cap, but for a lot of people, that line is 10, 12, 20 years out. There is not a legal pathway to come. That's the primary thing that has to be fixed. We're going to talk about Title 42. We're going to talk about immigration. going to show you some videos and let you see what we saw when we were all there along the border. But the primary thing that needs to change, the thing Congress needs to change now, is the amount of visas that we offer across the board. I think there are 96 or 98 different visa classifications. By the way, we, over, we have overclassification of visas. It's so complicated, so expensive. We have to change the quota system and simplify the visa process. The primary way to do that is to give work visas to people. Let people come into the country to work and then leave the country go back to their their home country or to another, and then come back in the country again. Right now, the way our, our policies are set up for a lot of people is once they get in the United States and start working, if they leave, they're afraid they're never going to get back in. So then they'll overstay visas because they're afraid they're not going to have their visa renewed. There's a number of things you can just do at literally the policy level to solve nearly all of the immigration problems. This is the thing that just makes all of us who work in this so frustrated. The policy answers are so simple. When people tell you it's really complicated how we're going to solve this immigration problem, solving the problem isn't complicated. The current situation is complicated. The solutions are not. Now, you might say, well, what makes it complicated is some people in this country don't want the number of immigrants coming in to be higher than the number of immigrants that are coming in the country now. Well, there you go. That's part of the problem. Some people want less immigrants coming in. Some of us want more immigrants coming in. The economy wants more immigrants coming in. Anybody who runs a business wants immigrants coming in. We're, we're actually in this curious little spot right now compared to 25 years ago where the primary argument against immigration 25 years ago was, say it with me, they'll take our jobs. Right? Right? They're going to hire somebody who's an immigrant and pay them less money because they're willing to work for less money because they're new to the country. And therefore, as an immigrant, they're more employable and they're going to take jobs from people who live here who need to be paid more because their expenses for, as people who have legacy life here is more expensive. That was true. Sometimes that's not the case now. The problem is the opposite. We're more than two million workers short for, all, for a whole set of reasons, primarily that immigration has been cut over the last five years, immigration numbers are down so much, we're more than two million workers short. We could bring in two million workers and still not have enough workers in this country. We have a population decline. You'll hear people say things like the, the former, you know, twice impeached and indicted president, former president would say, the country's full. The, the, the man just said it the other day, the country's full. The country is not full. In fact, our population is in flat, flat line and decline in most places in our country. We need new people coming into our country. Always have, always will. Okay, so our immigration pro. Uh, uh, problems have been created by our policies. They've been created by exclusions from the 1890s forward. When we started putting caps on people from certain countries who couldn't come in. Now we have this complex system that says, no, you can't have more people from any one country than you have from all the, any of the other countries, which makes absolutely no sense. People don't want to migrate to the United States in equal numbers from all the countries around the world. Right. And we have complicated visa, uh, Uh, strata that needs to be flattened out and made much, much more simple. And people need to be able to access this more cleanly. Now, none of that has to do with refugees, which are people who are seeking safe Harbor in the United States. Now they're also a category of immigrants. They're also people who are going to work here and make their lives here. I live in, in Minnesota and we have a rich history here of refugees being in the United States among people. We have people from Somalia. We have people from, uh, varieties of places who who have sought asylum or refugee protections here. They're immigrants as well. Just we allow refugees to come into the United States on a humanitarian need, not just because their family is here or not just because they're going to be working here and participating, but they're coming in because the place they're currently living is too dangerous and they need to live in a place where they're going to be safe. And the United States, like all the others, makes uh, this a safe place for people to live. So that's the refugee category. It's important as we think about all this to make sure we recognize refugees from other immigrants. The the, the majority of the people who are at the U.S. border now, when you see f- news photos or videos, the majority of those people, especially come from Venezuela, coming from Colombia, coming from Cuba, coming from Nicaragua and, and other Central American countries, are seeking asylum. They're refugees who are saying, could I have safe harbor and protection in the United States? Okay, so that's a separate kind of policy. That's the particular policy that's affected by Title 42. Now, here's why I've spent all this time talking about immigration as a whole. Because our immigration policy and, uh, procedures and our refugee procedures are mixed together. They're literally joined up right at the border. When you go to the border and you want to come into the United States and you're going to cross on the land, especially from the U.S., you're going to cross into California or New Mexico or Arizona or Texas. I've done all of those. When you're going to cross into the United States and you walk up to the border, you stand in line with everybody. As a U.S. citizen, I'm in line with everybody else. As somebody who want, as a, a work visa To be in, they're in there with everybody else. Somebody who's a refugee, they're right in line with everybody else. The same process. We have the same place. This is what creates this gigantic backlog. And the workers, the people who have to work there, the people who work for Border Patrol and Homeland Security and people who work at the processing of refugees and and visas and all that, they're a limited number of workers. So they're having to process all of these people at the same time. So you get these huge backlogs when you have a crush of people all wanting to come at the same time. So what's happened in the last few years is that the Trump administration made it a stated campaign policy and then a stated government policy to reduce the number of immigrants coming to the United States. They wanted to do it and they did it. One of the places they really wanted to limit was refugees. Of all the types of immigrants they really didn't want in the United States, people seeking asylum was one of them. It's it's unfaithful to the American dream. It's unfaithful to the care of anyone I know. It's unfaithful to all the religious traditions to say to people who are in harm's way, hey, you stay out. We've got it good here. But there is this mega movement that literally wants that. They say it all the time. I'm not trying to dog talk them this time. I'm not trying to put words in their mouth. I'm just telling you what they're saying. And that is we need less refugees in the United States. So they intentionally from 2017 forward, tried to limit the number of refugees that could come into the United States. They defunded, they defunded the refugees resettlement programs. They cut staff. A lot of this showed up and some of you, some of you paid attention to this more so when people from Afghanistan were coming to the United States after the collapse of the, the, the government there. And when the United States uh, pulled out during the Biden administration's first few months, the reason that we had all this struggle with how many Afghans can we take in the country is because the Trump administration had decimated the refugee programs So I was a part of just a small group of people, seven or eight of us here where I live, who put together a refugee circle and then work with the State Department to help resettle a family here. Individual people and churches and other groups had to take all that on ourselves. Amazing that this is what the Trump administration did. So they really did want to lessen and damage the amount, the the number of refugees that were coming into the United States. Okay, so that was going on from 2017 forward. Then COVID. When COVID came, we all know there were extraordinary measures taken across the board. And the Trump administration did all kinds of things to respond and not respond to COVID. Some of those involved federal places closing. It involved new rules in our states. There were all kinds of things we did around health responses. Well, one of those that the Trump administration chose was this old 100-year-old statute called Title 42. It's called Title 42 because that's under the, the statute. It's the statute title number 42. So it's just been given that name, this, this health directive. And under, under Title 42, it allowed the United States government to say that immigration into the United States could be reduced in order to protect public health. Now, you can imagine why you'd want to have something like this, right? A pandemic is one of those. Maybe we need to close the borders. We have a set of rules and a set of laws that we function under, international laws of refugees. i will talk about that in a minute. Uh, United States laws about how we function with refugees. But sometimes those need to be stalled, paused, put on hold because there's a crisis at hand. could be a variety of crises, including a health crisis. So that's what Title 42 is for. So the Trump administration said, we're going to put that in place on the border. What that allowed by law for Homeland Security and Border Patrol to do is to change the way it was legally mandated to function when a refugee would present themselves at the United States border. Okay, so let's talk about what that process is here for a minute. By international law and United States law, when a refugee comes to the United States border and says, I'm here to seek asylum and I'd like to make a claim, the United States government has a mandated responsibility to accept that person into the country and to process their asylum claim. So they need to create an entire system by which we do that. That's what all of those holding facilities along the border are about, right? So that somebody could be in the United States be under government care, housed, and processed. That's been going on for a long time. Now, should we have a better way to handle how we process asylum claims? Oh, yeah, for sure we should. Should it take months or years to process someone's asylum claim? Of course not. Why is it so strict? Why is it so stringent? Why is it so damaged? Well, that takes us back to September 11th, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So 2011 or 2001 changed the way we allow people into this country, and we, we, we made much more stringent the rules by which a person could seek access to the United States, especially as a refugee. And because a refugee is going to be granted status in the United States without end, people were very worried that terrorists could come into the United States. So we created this, what I would call, irrational fear that the way terrorists were going to come in was to fake themselves as being refugees. So we put this burden upon the refugee program to be vetting people as if they're potential terrorists. None of that has ever panned out. That's just simply not how uh, terrorists have decided to enter the United States. In fact, according to the FBI, the primary terrorist threats that we face in the United States are from people born here in the United States. White right-wing terrorists is the number one group that we should be afraid of. But our refugee program has to take on this burden of vetting refugees. It's super complicated. It takes a long time. And there are not enough judges. What the Trump administration did from 2017 all the way up until 2020 when they put in place Title 42 was to reduce the number of refugee judges, the people who could judge the basis of the claims. So they cut the number of judges and then caused this huge backlog. And that's what caused all the people to have to be housed for months and months and months on end. And that's what caused family separation. All right. So Title 42 comes in and the Trump administration says, "Okay, we can now tell our border agents that they don't have to follow U.S. law and international law that says when someone comes to the U.S.-Mexico border and presents themselves, they have to take them in and process their claim. And if their claim turns out not to be true, they return them to their country from which they they entered the United States or back to their home country. They don't have to do that anymore under Title 42 because we have an emergency. There's a stated health. I'm starting to sound like Rachel Maddow here re-explaining myself, but the Title 42 allowed these agents to be able to just simply say, we're not accepting any refugees right now. We have a health emergency going on, so we can't accept refugees right now. That policy We can't accept refugees right now because we have a health crisis just expired last Friday. The beginning of May 2023. This thing they put in place in January, February of 2020 was around until May of 2023 when the rest of everything else opened up years ago. The Biden administration, when it came into office, tried to end Title 42 day one, and then there was court cases that prolonged it until May of 2023, when it could finally be expired. Because Title 42 was never functioning to protect the health of American citizens. It was to reduce the number of immigrants and refugees even more deeply. That's what it was for. That's why they wanted to keep it in place well after the health mandate was gone. The same people, the same people who will down talk the threat of covid, the same people who will tell you we shouldn't have had lockdowns, we shouldn't have had vaccines, we shouldn't have had PPP, we shouldn't have done any of that, say, but we needed to have Title 42 to keep immigrants and refugees from coming in the United States because of a health mandate. Isn't that ironic? The same people who are telling you that COVID is a hoax are saying we need title 42 to protect people in the United States from a health crisis because it was never about that. So what happened at our border? Tens of thousands of people who fled their home countries, Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador, couldn't come in the United States. And the United States, like some bad bartender says, well, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Said to these folks, can't come in. So for years, years, they languished, waiting and waiting and waiting. And so in the last couple of weeks, as it's gotten clear, that Title 42 is going to be lifted and we will again return to United States legal norms and we'll again return to international law norms. A bunch of people are there waiting to come in. And there was all kinds of fear, all sorts of fear, tens of thousands of people. I, I have friends that called it and the people on Fox News and other right wing extremist websites would call it hordes of people are going to be pouring across the border. They weren't hordes of people ready to pour across the border. There were hordes of people waiting in line to be processed at border crossings. So what happened in the days just before Title 42? A whole bunch of people tried to quickly cross the border and present themselves to the the United States government right away. When you saw that there were 11,000 people apprehended at the U.S. border in one day. I mean, you hear a number like that and you're just like, holy cow, it, you could sort of conjure up in your mind just tens of thousands of people rushing across and running through the desert. These were people slowly walking across the Rio Grande, walking right up to the border patrol agents and saying, I'm here to ask for asylum. They weren't trying to sneak in the country. They were trying to do it right in front of border agents so that they could begin the process, jump the line, you might say, to begin the process to ask for refugee status. They weren't sneaking in the country. They were trying to get in because they saw there were tens of thousands of people in line at the border crossings. Now, I don't think they should have crossed. I think they should have waited in line like everybody else. But the line is just unwaitable for people, right? I've been there. I've seen. I've been in the refugee camps. You can go, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, which is the place we prefer you to watch all this. So If you're watching on Facebook or Twitch or Twitter or somewhere else, thank you. Head on over to YouTube. And in our playlist there, you'll see videos. You'll see a playlist of the We the People ride and immigration. You'll see the videos we took. We were in these camps. We were talking to these people. We heard their stories. We know who these people are. So th- this is what was going on. There was backlog for years because the Trump administration invoked Title 42 and because the Biden administration had to fight with courts to unravel the imposition of Title 42. So when Title 42 lifted, there was all this fear. There's going to be hordes and hordes of people. Unauthorized crossings of the border declined precipitously in the days. People lined up. It's been orderly. And now there's still not enough of a process and a system in place to process all of these refugees. The Biden administration has done some things, but not nearly enough. Should have been investing and planning and had tens of thousands of agents ready to process refugees refugee claims. They should have deputized a whole bunch of judges brought, judges, brought judges out of retirement, got people ready because there's been a four-year backlog. And within months, they could have processed all this. They didn't do it. They still haven't done it and they need to. So what Title 42 was, was this r- exemption that we had from following our laws that has now expired. So now we're processing refugees again haven't done enough to build out the system, the, the, the Biden administration's choice, I can ha- literally hardly say this with a straight face, for how they thought the best way to handle this was to make an app, make an application on a smartphone so that refugees could download the app, follow me here, download the app, apply on the app for a court hearing, to adjudicate their asylum claim. Okay, just think for a moment here what that would look like. A couple of months or so ago, I was, I was down in Arizona and then went into Mexico and was there with Dora and asked her, I said, Dora, how, how's it going with the people using this app to get registered? Literally, I can hardly see with a straight face. She just looks at me just deadpan and says, these people are walking through the desert. They don't all have smartphones. They don't all have cell service. So do you know who is processing the applications on the app for these refugees? The cartels. The smuggling cartels have said, this is great for us. Migrants, come on in. We will do all your processing, and this will cost you X number of thousands of dollars. Some of these folks... Don't read English very well, but they're supposed to go on an app, make an appointment. And much like some of us who tried to get healthcare when the healthcare uh, system opened up, you know, Obamacare system opened up. How'd that go? Yeah. I know how it went for me. took me months to get through the website to be able to apply. Just kept crashing and crashing that's what's happening with the app. So when people can actually get in, don't have to pay the cartels for it, when they have a charged enough battery and can figure out how to download an app to make sure that they've got a credit card on file with Apple or with Google for an Android phone so they can download an app. Ridiculous. Then they can make an appointment. And the appointments are months and months away and sometimes hundreds of miles from where they are. So they're in Reynosa, but then they get a place up in Del Rio that they can go. How in the world are they going to get up to Del Rio? They can't come in the United States and the roads in Mexico. You can barely get there. So the idea that what we're going to do is use technology to process these refugees. It's just such madness, right? Okay. Biden administration, let's fix this. Let's get enough human resources on the ground to process these refugees it's just utter madness okay so title 42 has been lifted people are now trying to get in the country they're waiting in line you know who's literally following our laws the refugees and the migrants that's who's following the laws do you know who didn't follow our laws the us process set them aside and what did the people do they just waited and waited and waited. Some of these people we met were just so incredibly tough, so incredibly kind, so incredibly committed to the care of their These are the people you'd want to be in your neighbors, to be your friends, to be your workers. Not these jokers that are sitting up here saying build a wall. I mean it's just it's it's yeah, uh, honestly. You come spend some time with us down on the border, you come spend some time in a refugee camp, You look at these people and you ask them, hey, what have you done the last four years? And they tell you and you're like, you're my kind of person. You talk to these people that are chanting at a rally, build a wall. What have you done the last four years? Who you've been rooting for? What have you been up to? Yeah, are they really the people you want to be hanging? I mean, if we want to sort of compare quality of what people have done with their lives over the last four years, people that have come from Venezuela on foot, I'd pick them 100 days out of 100. So they're incredible people. We have great people working on the border, the people working in trying to figure out the resettlement projects and the people trying to figure out the asylum claims are doing the best they can. But we need to go 10 times the number of people who are doing that work. All right. So that's what's going on with Title 42. I can see there's lots of people uh, inside the chat. I'll have a chance to look at these uh, chats uh, and comments. I'm going to play a couple of videos for you, let you see some things that are going on. Um, we're creating this documentary, as I mentioned, and, and, uh, some of these scenes that you're going to see here in a minute are from that, from that documentary. The, this was shot in 2021 and some of the, um, stories that were being told about what's happening at the border is that it was chaos. It's always that story, right? It's just always, it's chaos at the border. If someone tells you it's chaos at the border, please just either, either saying your internal voice to yourself, it's not chaos at the border. The system is chaotic. The border is not. We hear it over and over and over. So I'm going to show you three different people that we talked to at the border who all said this, three different guys, three different men. I thought it was important to show white men living on the border, what they think about what lives, what's happening at the border. Because white men living in, not on the border, just love telling you about how much chaos is going on in the border. And it's just you bleeding hearts that don't care. And you just want to let all these people in. You just don't want walls and you want, you have doors on your house, but you don't want doors on the border. All this nonsense. It's chaos down there. We need to have armed military at the border. Unreal. It's just truly not the case. So I'm going to show you, show you some of this. Now, are there places where there's drugs being brought in the United States? Oh, for sure. You know where the majority of drugs come in? They come in across cross borders. You know what part of the border they come in? The ones with the trucks. They're not smuggling drugs through the desert in the backpacks of Venezuelan families that could die in the desert. They're putting them in trucks and airplanes and boats. We only scan 10% of the trucks that come into the United States from Mexico. If you really want to stop drugs, you don't stop the people crossing on foot. You stop the trucks full of drugs. Everybody who works in drug interdiction says the same thing. Everybody. But what do we do? Pile up a bunch of concrete and steel and make a ridiculous wall to keep people from crossing. It's just madness. So I'm going to show you uh, some of these videos. Uh, This first one I'm going to show you is us riding on the Rio Grande. This is the very place where just weeks before we were there, Republicans were out there riding as senators and Congresspeople and news st- riding in, in, uh, in, in, uh, bulletproof vests with army helmets on and had a big press conference with tanks behind them talking about how they're going to be tough on the border. The very place where we're going to show you right, right now. Uh, this is, uh, this is us in Reynosa, Mexico, uh, and, uh, uh, it's just gonna—I don't know—probably gonna blow your mind. At least I hope it does. So, I think I'm—I think I'm gonna play the right video here. Let me. This is what makes me mad. This area has been characterized and discussed as a absolute war zone. To the point that I thought coming here we were gonna see some real militarization and need for border response. Families having picnics under a Coca-Cola banner.
1: You say Mexico border, everybody automatically thinks the border. Yes.
0: You use Mexico, everybody thinks
1: the whole country's is cartel. You know, you know, it, it's a stereotype that, that you know. There, there, everybody, in Mexico is a brook. Yes. You know and, are, and, and, and that's that's all they think so you know they're they're just like amazed when someone go down and realize that you know there's normal areas in communities yeah. and communities and they'll, they'll call you know for the boat ride are we gonna get shot at i think well if we did i would be out there <laughs> yeah i'm taking you out there and get shot
0: at. it's a real tour man <laughs> we've ridden the border we started in on and rode all the way here on our bicycles. So we've been stopping these towns, and people just over and over keep saying, "I wish people in the rest of the country knew what it's really like here." And there's all this slander about what's
1: going on. Don't because you know, depending on who you who you're going to listen on the news, they're going to push their agenda. Or how they, you know, it's not the old days where you just reported the news and let people decide what they want to decide. And, and, and those days are long gone. You know, we all laugh all the time, like when know, they say something. You know, somebody a firecracker staff, go off over there, and it's a shootout, it's shooting, why shooting in the to the U.S. To the you know, it's just what you get reported. It's so so it, get it's just kind of comical when you you hear some of the reporting that goes on. You know, come in, churches, and because start like saying
0: but the fundraising began around the crisis.
1: I mean, I don't think those people would be staying there if they were getting shot at. Yeah, they
0: don't. would. <laughs> that is the Rio Grande at Reynosa, Mexico, into uh, the United States. United States, someone said that man's been a uh, captain of that leisure boat, big boat they have. Food on it and entertainment and all for 40 years, 40 years. He's been doing that. He's like that stuff. They tell you, it's not true. I live right there on the bank. It's not what's happened. Now, did we see rafts that people had taken from Mexico into the United States and risk their lives? Cause maybe they couldn't swim. Yeah. Yeah. People cross into the United States there. They only cross in the United States there because they can't get access to the United States the legal way. Why don't they come legally? Great question. Why don't we have a way for them to come legally? That's the question we should all be asking. If you're, if you're for a change in our immigration, the question we need to ask all the time is, why don't they come legally? That should be the question that you're always asking because there's no good answer for it other than because our politicians, primarily our Republican politicians, do not want to make a legal pathway for people to come to the United States. It's, sometimes politics isn't this simple. On this case, it's this simple. All right, i want to show you one more this is a, a video of a man who's the mayor of a town now this time in arizona this one that when you just saw was in was in texas way down by brownsville texas almost on, at the end of the border and this one's kind of in the middle this is in in um in uh uh the middle of arizona a place called douglas arizona and this is the mayor of douglas arizona this is another border town which Agua Prieta is the name of the town on the mexico side and then the shared city on the other side is douglas arizona fantastic place. You should go there. It's really, really great. We're going to be going back there uh, uh, in in due time. So if you want to come and vote common good, we're going to be heading heading ourselves down there. So we talked with the mayor there uh, about what goes on. And with this kind of thing, we just heard over and over and over about the truth of what goes on at the border. And here's that. Here's there.
1: Mayor Donald Hewish from Douglas, born and raised here. This is my hometown, and welcome to Douglas. It's a safe town. I know the impression that many people have throughout the country is that it's, it's lawless, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. there's uh, shootings going on, that there's all kinds of crime. Nothing could be further from the truth. The values that people have here are based on family values, belief in Christ, and that permeates throughout our community. And it helps us be able to reach out and try to help others. But there needs to be a better system. The effect of the policies that are made back in Washington DC affect us day in and day out. I would certainly encourage the federal government to, to install uh, either through uh, video conferencing to administrative law judges or training some local pastors or somebody to be able to hear have hearings for these people that are coming up, wanting to seek a better life. They'll make minor changes, like they'll uh, allow people to seek citizenship that have been here for a certain number of years. They'll do all those things, what they call amnesty, but then it just goes way to the right or way to the left. And I'm not one to say it needs to go to the middle. It needs to go to what's right. And what's right is to be able to allow these people to have some type of hearing. And if we tell them no, then it's no, yeah. at least they know, at least they know. But it, it just beyond me, the technology that we have now and the ability to be able to teleconference and we need to be able to have these people have a hearing within a week. Yeah. And then if, we, if they have that hearing within a week, I'm sure we can figure out how to put them up for a week yeah. and protect them and so that they can go on and be with their families here. Yeah. Most people that cross our borders don't wanna stay here. They have family elsewhere. Uh, You guys come from Minneapolis and South Bend and Chicago, that's where they want to go because they have family up there. And to me, to deny somebody access to their family is just inhumane. These people are hungry for freedom. And some of them physically hungry, some of them spiritually hungry, whatever it is. And we have it here. And so if you see your little children, they're starving, don't, you don't see the future other than having to participate in a gang or something to be able to survive down there, what are you gonna do? You, you're, you're gonna take those means to try to get them up here and take the chance. And it just breaks my heart every time I read of a death coming across this border when, why can't we, if you want a wall, build a wall, but open the gate and have it orderly and have them come through and be able to enjoy the blessings that we have. Here in the United States.
0: So that's the kind of thing that we just saw over and over with the people who know. I mean, it the amount of conversations that we all have to have with people who have no idea what's going on on the border has been told things. And look, we've all been tricked and fooled and lied to. It's just a constant struggle. The mayor of Douglas, Arizona, said it so clearly there, didn't he? Just find a way to process these people's claims within a short period of time and then tell them yes or no. Don't stall them out for years living in refugee camps in squalor all along the Mexico border on the Mexico side. Makes no sense. It's just wrong. It's pigheaded, and uh, and it's got to go. So uh, look, Title 42 is done. We can now start processing people. We all need to keep up on our administra- on, on the people in the Biden administration, and any lawmakers we know, to say we need to change our immigration. And if you don't know what else to say when you say change our immigration policy, I'll advise you to say this. Lift the quotas that limit the number of visas that we offer. Allow more people in. We don't let enough refugees in. And if you think the United States population is going to be overwhelmed with refugees coming to the United States, just do a little simple math. And it really is quite simple. 370 million people in the United States, roughly, maybe 380. 370 million. If you let 3 million in, which would be more than we've let in in the last 10 years combined, let 3 million... Yeah. In 2018, do you know how many people from Guatemala were granted asylum? Seven. Yeah, seven. It's madness what the Trump administration did. You could let 3 million refugees, immigrants in this country, maybe at 1% of the U.S. population. Unnoticeable unnoticeable. You can let 6 million in. You'd be at less than 2%. You can let 10 million in. 2.5. You're not going to overflow the country with a 2% population increase. The numbers don't lie, but people do. So uh, there's some better ways we can do our immigration policy. Thanks for being with us today. We care a lot about this. Keep up with all the stuff that we do on this. You can watch uh, over at the, our YouTube channel, this documentary coming together. There's lots of other videos like that. Get you close to it, meet the people. You can meet some of the refugees and some of the people in the, in the places, face-to-face interviews with them. So it's really quite powerful. So thanks for being a part of all this. Uh, Leif, thanks for all your great comments here inside the chat. Uh, Kimberly, good to see you. Amanda, good morning to you. Shell, hello, Mike, Jim. Others, um, thanks and share this widely, if you would, and uh, subscribe over on Vote Common Good website to our email, if you're not already on the email, and be sure that you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, if you're not there already. All right, uh, friends, uh, uh, thanks, th- thanks for all your common goodness, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.